I have called up in all my years of sorcery no god or devil, ominous and gibbous. And the thing was a streaming ooze of charnel The wormy corpses that he dug with his hands from unconsecrated graves. It is thoroughly known by few, there were people, but it's mostly priests and women, it is told, whom he picked up as they fled, and pulled limb from limb as a child might quarter an insect. The Double Shadow, Clark Ashton Smith Podcast. Hello, and welcome to The Double Shadow, a podcast exploring the weird fiction of 20th century writer Clark Ashton Smith. And today, it's just me, Phil. How's it going? So Ruth did a solo episode a couple weeks back, and uh, now here I am doing my own solo episode while we wait for the stars to be right for the white worm to come. I thought today I would talk a little bit about an oddity that I found um, in Clark Ashton Smith's archives uh, here in the Hay Library. About a year ago, when Ruth came to visit, we went um, to the library here, which is, of course, where Lovecraft's papers are, and they have a lot of Smith's stuff as well. Um, And while we were there, uh, I stumbled upon a poem by Smith entitled The Doom of America. Uh, And I was instantly taken by the title because it sounds both like an amazing black metal album and also a bit like a terrorist tract, so instantly... My uh, eyes perked up, and I was like, hello, Doom of America, what are you all about? So this poem, according to the sources that I've found, was never published in Clark Ashton Smith's lifetime, uh, nor has it been published any time since. Uh, but I have it right here, in front of me. So I'm going to uh, read a bit of it to you, um, and then discuss it and, and read some excerpts from Clark Ashton Smith's letters that I think are uh, apropos of the themes of the poem. And then uh, that'll be it. So here we go. This is The Doom of America by Clark Ashton Smith. Thou hast striven after strange gods, O America. In the temples of latter time, thou hast lifted up Baal and Mammon and Moloch. Thou hearkenest wholly unto these. Thine ears seek after the flattery of subtle and false oracles. They are filled therewith, they are grossly satisfied. Neither shalt thou hear the Lord if his thunder bespeaks thee, nor heed his prophets except with mockery. O bride that was given unto God of former time, O sharer in the covenant of the Most High, thou does adultery with bestial deities. Yea, thou deniest it not, in the marts thou confirmest the report of thy shame with mirth. O breaker of faith, thou fearest not, thou art graceless, thou hast forgotten the promises of the jealousy of the Lord and the prophecy of his vengeance. O fornicatrix, Thou art entirely naked, thou art bare even of shame. O foolish, O indiscreet, thou hast taken thee many alien peoples, the strangers become thy possessor. They shall be invoked against thee soon, they shall be given over to the stakes of thy confusion, even to the redoubling thereof. The curse of Babel shall be upon thee. Shall the beasts of the abyss that thou hast taken for deities countervail the flaming might of the seraphim, and the sun-like wrath of the most righteous. Mammon shall be aghast in the light of thine end. Moloch shall reel amain before the thunder of thine undoing. Art thou stronger than Rome? Art thou greater than Babylon? That sinning as these sinned, thou shalt abide where they abode not, nor be stricken as these were stricken? Nay, thou art less than these were. The term of thy fornication shall be briefer than theirs. Doom shall come upon thee, 
ere thou art made ready, and the chariots thereof shall be swifter than comets. O scorner of poets and prophets, of them that are soothsayers, O mocker of the trumpets of truth, I know that thou wilt not heed me, thou wilt pause a little. But now thou sayest, Ha ha, am I not armored with cities? Is not my metropolis a shield of adamant embossed with iron? Am I not fortified? Have I not swift messengers that I have taken captive in the kingdom of the wind? Am I not ringed about with demons of the deep, with strangers from the vast that I have enslaved and compelled to my service? Yes, but the strength of iron and stone availeth and saveth not when the heart is corrupted. O thou unseemly one, whose actions are not meet, who has suffered thy merchants to wax as kings, who admittest the multitude to thy counsels. In the end, they shall betray thee to the, the desert and the dust. The strong shall be at strife with the strong. Also the heathen of his multitude shall thunder thee from round about. He whose heart is entire within him, who is not forswoon as thou, who hath not departed from his God as thou from thine, O twice confounded. In the end, they shall render thee to the abyss, to the blind and earless one, who receiveth, but rendereth not in turn. Abaddon shall take charge of thee. In the time to come, at the end of the black cycle, thy memory shall be but as the writing on a stone that hath crumbled, that the wind hath lifted grain by grain and diffused afar. The wise and the patient shall hardly regather the characters of that writing, nor put together the import thereof. Even thy magic shall be forgotten. The desert peoples will hardly have the same names for thy devils in that day made free and ranging as aforetime. Also, thy high and haughty cities shall in those years be such that they who builded them would scarcely say if these were their handiwork. Neither shall they endure as the stone of old times, as the pillars of Rome and Tyre that builded mightily, of Egypt whose toil shall be a testimony to the stars of the last and endless night. And scene. Uh, so that wasn't the whole poem, but that was the majority of it. And you can tell it it uh, is angry, and it's a little bit ridiculous at times. Like, but now thou sayest, ha ha, am I not armored with cities? But there's a certain core anger to it that I find kind of appealing. Other than that appeal to its anger, there are various things that I think are very uncomfortable about it. First of all, it's kind of explicitly racist. It definitely lists the idea that foreign peoples are being brought into America as a source of this impending doom. Uh, and the second thing that is uncomfortable and strange about it is that it uh, has a very fire and brimstone Christianity about it. it. It's very much about how America has broken faith with the one true God in some sense, which both of those things strike me as strange for, for Clark Ashton Smith. I mean, we don't know exactly what his racial views were, at least to my knowledge we don't know, but... Um, to be explicitly jingoist or racist in the sense seems a little bit out of character, as does being explicitly sort of Old Testament God. Uh, so when I was thinking about those two things, I found myself wondering um, from what era of Clark Ashton Smith's this life this poem comes from. Like, did he write it as a young man, as a middle-aged man, as an old man? You know, had he already written all his short stories when he when he decided to write this tirade against America? Um, the anger of it led me to think that maybe it was written later in his life, you know, after his parents had died, after HPL had died. Uh, there's a reference in a stanza 
um, that I didn't read to America hating its artists um, and, and killing them, basically. And I thought, you know, this was maybe Clark Ashton Smith's Get Off My Lawn America poem. You know, the work of a mind growing kind of conservative as it got older and, and um, saw the world sort of killing off everything that he loved. So when I told Ruth and Tim I was going to do this episode about this poem, Ruth pulled some letter excerpts from me. And in the very first letter excerpt that she sent me, it turns out that I was completely wrong as to when Clark Ashton Smith wrote this poem. So this is an excerpt from a letter uh, to George Sterling dated May 11th. 1913. Dear George, I don't suppose you'd care for the few things I've written lately. Here are some of the titles. The Medusa of Despair, Gothic Nightmare, and The Doom of America. The last is a sort of Bible prophecy in about 50 verses. I don't suppose it's poetry. It's sort of a roundup of all my grudges and kicks against the present age. I even took a swat at the suffragettes. I'm glad it's out of my system. Uh, so there you have it, not the work of a young Clark Ashton Smith, or not the work of an old Clark Ashton Smith, in fact, the work of quite a young Clark Ashton Smith um, cataloging all of his issues with the country um, as of May 11th, 1913. Um, I don't exactly know where the kick against the suffragettes is in the poem. Um, I'm assuming, or I'm hoping that we'll put the whole poem up on our website, uh, and maybe one of our listeners can figure out where he's talking about why he doesn't like the suffragettes or how they're going to bring about the doom of America. But yeah, kind of interesting. Um, and, you know, knowing that it was written by a young, younger Smith, I think you can see uh, the amateurishness in, in some of its, its sillier parts, actually. Um, so after discovering that, I thought, well, how did Clark Ashton Smith feel about America through the rest of his life? Um, and fortunately, uh, Ruth sent other letters that sort of illuminate his feelings at least up until about 1937. So I'm going to read some other excerpts now that, uh, that will illuminate that as well. So first we have an excerpt from a letter to George Sterling, uh, another letter to George Sterling. This is from November 4th, 1926. He says, Dear George, I suppose I am hopelessly inadaptable, but I simply can't attain to that faith in material values professed by the humanists and other babbits. Many attempts have been made to convert me, but I still fail to see that the, that the impossible or problematical is any more futile than anything else as a poetical topic. Indeed, my fondest dream is to find a hyperborea beyond hyperborea in the realm of imaginative poetry. I have the feeling that my best and most original work is yet to be done. Uh, our next letter uh, comes from uh, April 3rd, 1937. This is to Donald Wandry. Uh, and this is immediately following H.P. Lovecraft's death. Um, this is quite a long letter, but I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Um, Dear Donald, uh, Read that theory about an artist's growth being linked with or rooted in his native soil. Probably it depends a great deal on the type of mind or temperament possessed by the artist. That is to say, whether he reacts realistically upon his environment or romantically against it. However, Maybe it could be argued that there is an indirect debt in the latter case, as well as a direct one in the former. Poe, who reflected nothing of America in his writings, may have owed to America the reverse impulse that drove him so far into fantasy and sheer creation. Lovecraft is essentially different from Poe, combining as he does both local realism and cosmic fantasy. I, though incapable of realism, 
and plainly more of the Poe order. Derleth, I would venture to say, is more thoroughly and positively identified with his native milieu than even Lovecraft, and feels no need of transdimensional dreams or flights into the realm of antiquity and cosmic space. Perhaps, too, he draws from the well his astounding electric vitality, like Entius in the myth. Our next letter comes from the same year, also from 1937. This is to R.H. Barlow, uh, dated May 16, 1937. What hurts me more than anything about H.P.L.'s death is the feeling that he might have lived for many more years with proper recognition, financial recompense, and the nourishing food that his condition must have made doubly imperative. Truly, as you suggest, America has killed her finest artists. And when she hasn't killed them, she has driven them into exile, as in the case of Hearn and Bierce. Personally, I am goddamn sick of the killing process. I seem to die hard and have fully and absolutely made up my mind to quit the hell-bedunged and heaven-bespitted country when my present responsibilities are over. I haven't any definite plans, but will probably gravitate towards the Orient. Anyway, I shall remove myself from Auburn, California, and the USA, even if I have to stow away on a tramp steamer. As you surmised, I am not deeply enamored of the Republican system. On the other hand, I have no faith in any political or economic ism, schism, or panaceas. On the other hand, almost any kind of system might serve well enough if human beings were not the stupidest and greediest and most cruel of the fauna on this particular planet. No matter what system you have, capitalism, fascism, Bolshevism, the greed and power lust of men will produce the same widespread injustice, the same evils and abuses, or will merely, for will merely force them to take slightly different forms. The Marxian motto, from each according to his capacity, to each according to his need, is no doubt a beautiful sentiment, but it is about as impractical and as likely to be practiced as the golden rule of Jesus Christ. From this, you can see that I am not a likely convert to communism. I doubt if communism would be established in this country without prolonged internecine warfare that would make the Spanish embroilment look like a Rotarian barbecue in comparison. The immediate result of revolutionary tactics will be to precipitate a dictatorship of the type now prevalent in Germany and Italy. I don't like to think of what will follow. Whatever ensues will hardly be to the advantage of artists and intellectuals. They'll be damned lucky if they even have pulp magazines to write for. In my opinion, the whole fabric of Western civilization is nearly due for a great debacle, and the spreading class struggle will hasten rather than avert it. And after that, well, it's a familiar platitude that the sun rises in the east. Uh, that's actually a really, really great letter. He goes on to talk a little bit more about conditions in Russia, um, and just in general gives us a great window um, contemporaneous window into his views on what was going on in 1937, which is a fascinating period uh, in history, obviously. And then it has this great PS, that same letter, a great postscript. On glancing over this letter, I note a few asperities of tone and in places a lack of Arnoldian sweetness and light. In extenuation, I must plead that I have pretty much, I am pretty much at the boiling point lately. I believe the late R.E. Howard and I would have had a grand time together lambasting civilization. That is, if I have not been misinformed as to his views. Barbarism, barbaric art, barbaric peoples appeal more and more to me. I could never live in any modern city, and am more of an outsider than HPL. His outsiderness was principally in regard to time period. Mine is one of space, too. So then we have one final letter, which kind of sums up a lot of what Clark Ashton Smith felt about America, I think. This is from May 17, 1937, again the same year. This is to, um, to Donald Wandre again. Um, Dear Donald, 
August was apparently rather shocked when I spoke of my intending to quit California. No doubt he would have been even more shocked if I had told him my full intention, which is to leave the USA when my present responsibilities are over. I haven't made any definite plans, but such plans are not important, since, varying the title of Baudelaire's prose poem, I shall take as my motto, Anywhere Out of America. There are many reasons, too many reasons to list here. One is that I don't wish to be killed by the country that killed Poe, Lovecraft, and A.P. Ryder. I'd rather perish at the hands of cannibals or the fangs of cobras or wild dogs than be done to death over a course of years by the Boeotians of this republic. I believe that my life expectation, normally a long one if heredity means anything, has already been shortened many years by hardships and neglect. The last two years have been terrible ones, but it would seem that the worst is still to come. But I hope to live through it and to escape. Uh, so there you have it, a little mini primer on how Clark Ashton Smith felt about America from about 1913 up until about 1937. We know as to whether he escaped or not, we know that he never actually did. Um, I would imagine that World War II had a little bit to do with him never managing to make it outside of California. Hopefully you've enjoyed this little episode. Like I said, we're hopefully going to put the full uh, Doom of America up on the website. And all apologies for the delay on a real episode. A little bit of it is my fault. I've been a little bit sick, and uh, I'm better now, though. So that's good. Um, and soon enough, the white world worm will come for all of us. Hopefully you will tune in then. And thanks for listening. Hope you have a good one. Thank you.